uh, open up your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. This morning is the section of Scripture we're going to be looking at. And being addressed by. So Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 11. Give you a moment and then I'm going to read it. Starting in verse 1, the preacher wrote the following. He said, For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. What gain has the worker from his toil? I've seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He's made everything beautiful in its time. Also... He's put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live, and also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before Him. That which is already has been. That which is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we again thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the way You speak to us. We thank You for this specific Word and ask that You would uh, sow it in our hearts, that You would cause it to bear a lot of fruit in our lives, Lord, that you would teach us how to live out our lives here under the sun for your glory, how to enjoy the lives you've called us to live under the sun as we await our Savior, Jesus, to return and and take us to heaven, Lord. And so as we live out our lives, Lord, we need your wisdom. We need your help. We need your guidance. We need your spirit. And so please, Lord, please fill us. Please soften our hearts that we might know you and that we might honor you with the ways in which we live. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week, I was walking through Publix with my wife. uh, And as we were walking through the store, there was a bunch of people in the store. And I noticed a dad pushing his young son in one of those carts that has the steering wheel. You all know what I'm talking about, right? So they have like a couple of those and 
Anyways, this dad was pushing his son through the store, and he was a little guy, and they were making their way around the corner, and this little kid, he just, you know, he's guiding this thing around. You know how they do it. They're not even looking at anything. They're just steering this wheel, and he, we made eye contact for a moment, and I'm just there giving him a big thumbs up because he's, he's like the happiest person in the store at that moment because he's doing whatever it is he wants to do, and his dad's, you know, just doing his shopping list and things like that. And so we kept shopping, Sarah and I, and we made our way to the front of the store, and there, there was this mom who was pushing her cart with one hand, and with the other hand, she's walking her young son through the store. And I saw that, and I saw the son who was driving the cart having a great time, and I remember just having this little conversation with my wife where I told her, I just said, man, I wish my kids were little again. And I just found this, like as I get older, and I'm sure older people feel this way, um, and as your kids get older, you kind of have this different perspective on life where you kind of look back and you're just like what I was feeling. I was like, I wish I could get a redo to when my kids were little again. Because when my kids were little, I had four, four and under, and they just all kind of seemed to pass through the same season of life together. And when I look back to the age of those young kids in that store, right now it's just really blurry. I mean blurry because it was just a lot of chaos, a lot of confusion, I'm sure a lot of laughter, a lot of joy. But I, I made this comment to her again. I just said, if I could do it again. I would take one of my kids with me every time I left the house. That was my perspective in that store. Now, if you have little kids right now, I'm sure that's not your perspective. You're thinking, I wish I could go to the store by myself and just accomplish the things that I need to accomplish. I could get in there and I could get out of there. But as a dad with kids who are older, and as I look back at that season of life, if I could go back and do it, that's what I would want to do. I would want to be that dad pushing one of my kids in that cart where they're just going around while I'm doing my list, and I wish I could push a cart and hold their hand as we walk through the store because we don't do that anymore. It's hard enough just for us to get all in the same car at the same time because everybody's kind of got their own car, and they're all doing their own things. Our season of life is not that little season of life anymore. It's different. I have a daughter now who's 22 years old. She doesn't even live in the same state as us. And she's about to get married. And so she kind of lives her own life. And I get to just hear little bits and pieces about it as I call her or she texts or things like that. And Charlie, Ben, and Jimmy, they're just too big. Can you imagine me putting them in one of those grocery carts? They may do that together when they're messing around because they do funny things like that, but, but we couldn't do that. We couldn't do that. I don't know that they really want me to hold their hand while we grocery shop either. And I tried to. You could ask them. I'll, I will attempt it. We'll walk to the store and you know how you're walking and you kind of get a little bit closer and you just feel it and you just kind of reach for it. And They've picked up on that. One of them will try to do that to me now in different places. But again, it's not for that moment. If anything, it's just to try to embarrass one another. Just because that's our season of life. I wish those little years at this point in my life would have lasted forever. But they don't. They were just a few short years of our life together. Now, 
They're just these memories because my wife has to remind me of things or they, they pop up on a social media site where it's like, oh, yeah, we did that. Like, I honestly, I forget some of these things or they'll ask, hey, they'll ask about these memories. And I'm like, I think we did. They just sort of fade. And it just happens if you don't believe me, talk to somebody who's older than you, somebody who's in that next generation, because they will tell you these things fade. I talk to my dad all the time and I'm asking him these questions. And honestly, the only thing he answers, really every question I'll ask him about anything that happened in the past, he always says, I don't know. And I was like, what do you mean you don't know? You have to remember something. He's like, I don't. And that doesn't give me much hope because I want to remember these things. I want to remember what we did. I want to remember the little smile on their face when they're pretending to drive a grocery cart. I want to remember those ups and downs. I want to experience these things with them because the reality is they just go by so fast. And if you're in those younger years at this moment, I know you feel like this is going to last forever. I'm going to tell you, it doesn't. It goes by quickly, especially the older they get, the quicker they seem to be moving through these seasons. So I'm grateful to God for those memories, and I'm grateful for the seasons of life that he, that he puts us through. But these are things that, that Sarah and I have had to recognize and see in our life. And this is something that, that God is going to speak to us about this morning in this text. He's going to give us wisdom for how we think about the lives that we're living, especially when it comes to time. Time you have with your kids, time for whatever it is you're doing right now, time for anything you experience in this life. Solomon's going to give us wisdom about this. He's going to teach us this. Since we only have so much time to live out our lives in this world, we must learn to make the best use of our time as we trust God who is at work in all things all the time. Now, it's kind of a, a mouthful, but, but I guess if I could summarize it even more simple, is we only have so much time, and God's at work in all of it, and he, he, he's created us to actually enjoy it to enjoy it in the moment. And so we're going to unpack this truth by looking at two points. In the first point, we learned that there is a season for everything we do in life. There is a season, there is a time period for everything we do in life, for everything we experience in life. It, there's a little bit of order to it. So in these Next eight verses, or these first eight verses, three, one through eight, Solomon shares with us a poem about the seasons of life. And it's probably one of the most famous poems in all of the Bible. And I know some of you guys are young here, and so I'm going to encourage you to look at Apple Music on this. But there's this band called The Birds, and I'm a little too young for this as well. But how many people you know this? Okay, so we got some older crew here. I appreciate that. So anyways, what they did is they took this poem and they wrote a song and produced a song called Turn, Turn, Turn. Just look it up on Apple Music. And what you're going to see is that this song is basically written after these eight verses, just acknowledging there's a season for everything. Things come and they seem to go. And so it's kind of famous. But before we jump into the contents of this poem, we'll just take a quick look at its structure. So what you'll notice here is the word time is used 28 times in it to cover kind of 
14 different events, actions, or emotions, things that are very common to the lives that we live. And so they they cover everything we're going to pretty much experience in this life. These events or actions or emotions, they're the polar opposites of one another as they're sort of being compared and contrasted against. And so what we're doing or what he's doing is he's saying from here to here, there's a time for this and there's a time for that. And everything in between it. And then if you were to read it out loud, which I encourage you to do, you're going to notice there, there's just this repetition and there's this rhythm to it that one commentator said it's, it's kind of like the second hand on one of those old clocks or your watch where it's just tick tock. Talk. There's, there's a rhythm to it. And that's kind of, you guys get this, that's kind of how, how poems work. There, there's more than just words there. There's a rhythm to it that's meant to get our attention, that's communicating something to us. It also should be noted that there's this parallelism found here in this poem that, that really is so simple and it's so clear that as I was studying this, one of the commentators was saying that it's so simple and it's so clear that it can be translated in a hundred different languages without it actually losing any of its clarity. And so I think as you think about that, where I conclude on that is that this must be pretty important for it to maintain its clarity and its structure and its purpose throughout every language pretty much so that that we would learn something, that God wants us to know something about this and our lives as we live out our lives under the sun. The final thing we need to know about this poem is that Solomon is describing for us what life is like for everyone in a fallen world. Okay, so this, this is his poem regarding what he's seen in the world around him for everybody who's living life here on earth in this broken world. So he's not talking about what life was like before Adam and Eve sinned. And he's not talking about what life is going to be like when we get to heaven and everything's perfect. He's, he's just saying, this, this is what you're going to experience. This is what I've seen in this life. And you've seen this throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. Like if you've read this and you've studied this, even outside of the Sunday morning experience, you're going to be like, you're going to agree with him. If you have any amount of wisdom at all and you're reading this in any way, you you can relate to what he has to say about this world and about our lives as we live out our lives in a broken world, in a world that has sin in it. So, verse 1, he says this, For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. Pretty clear, right? What he's just saying there is everything in life, it it just has its season. This means that there's going to be a start to something and there's going to be an end to it. Just like the four seasons we experience, spring, summer, fall, winter, they, they start and then they finish. Now, our calendars, I guess, don't they? They have this specific date where we celebrate, hey, first day of summer or first day of fall. And so we celebrate the first day of fall. But, but what that means is we just lost summer. And we feel it too, don't we? Like today, you wake up and everybody's got their flannel on. Everybody's kind of making jokes about it. And it's like, it's fall's arrived. And if you're somebody who likes to decorate, you get to throw all the summer stuff away and you get to go put pumpkins out and stalks and just whatever it is. A lot of people like that kind of stuff. 
but it's just a season. It's going to end. It starts and it ends. And that's what Solomon is trying to help us see here. For everything in our life, there is a season. There's a start to it and there's a finish to it. Everything's going to change. See, I say that and Solomon's saying this and we all agree with it, but I was sharing a little bit earlier. This is something for Sarah and I that, that we've been slow to actually recognize. But as we've grown older, we've, we've learned that, that we have to stop at different points in our lives and say, okay, I think we just got out of summer and we just entered fall. And by that I mean we don't have little kids that we can push in a grocery cart anymore. And when we move on to that next stage, we have to stop and we've had to learn that, that we are in a new season. That season's over. And not only that, we can't push them around anymore, but, but they're also all driving their own cars. And they're all doing their own things. And we only have one left in high school. So the rest are kind of out there in the world becoming adults. And, and that's a different season. And if you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about. And if you're married, you know what I'm talking about. Because your marriage changes through different seasons. And I was saying, we were slow to recognize this. But thankfully, God's placed us in a church like this. And people can help us. Is What happens for us when we fail to recognize a seasonal change? We continue to parent or we continue to relate to one another like we did in the old season. Does that make sense? It's kind of like... You're still wearing summer clothes, but it's winter. Like today, if you saw Jack Newman greeting, Jack was wearing shorts and a t-shirt. And as I stood next to him, everybody was like, what are you wearing? And there's a reason he's wearing what he's wearing, but the season changed. He forgot to look at the, at the, at the weather app, right? The night before when he picked stuff out and he couldn't go back into his room. There's a whole reason for it. He wasn't just being foolish. It's a very good reason. But that's what happens when we fail to recognize God has created this world to function a certain way, that we live life and everything has its time and everything has its season. There's a start to it and a finish to it. You might find yourself wearing summer clothes in the middle of winter, or you might find yourself trying to parent teenagers as if they're toddlers, or you might try to control your adult children as if they're teenagers. And guess what? That doesn't work very well, does it? Or you can begin to relate to your spouse like you did when you were in this season, and it doesn't work. And so, or, or it might work, it's just going to be a little bit harder. And so that's what Sarah and I have learned is that, is we have to stop, and we just name it. And we're slow to that, but it's helpful for us just to be able to look up and say, okay, I think, I think God just changed our life in some way. He's, he's moved us away from this, and now we're in this. And what does that mean for us? Do we have to put the summer clothes away and find the winter clothes in the way we communicate, in the way we talk? And so that's just a reality for all of us. That's what Solomon's trying to teach us. Everything in your life has a time and it has a season. And he says this. He says, there's a time to be born and there's a time to die. That's true, isn't it? And none of us get to pick that time. And, and what we're going to find is none of us get to pick any of these times. He just looks out at life and he says, guess what? There's a time when we're born, when we take our first breath. And for every single one of us, there's a time when we will take our last breath. It's just a reality. We live in this world 
And this is how this world functions. People will be born and people will die. He says there's a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. Everything in this world and in our lives has its time. And it has its place. God has ordained for us all to experience many things in this life. Some of us will live a very long life and some of us won't. We don't get to pick that. Some of us will maybe laugh more than others mourn. We don't get to pick that either. Some of us will find ourselves sowing a lot and some might find themselves tearing. Some might find themselves planting while others might find themselves harvesting. There's, there's just a time and a place for everything and we don't control any of it. That's what Solomon is trying to get across here. I look out, I see this, I've watched your life, I've seen your life, I've seen everybody's life. Like last week, he put it all on the whiteboard and he's like, this is pretty common. This world is moving along. People are being born and people are dying and a bunch of stuff is happening in between and it all has its season. It has its start and it has its finish. Some people are laughing. Some people are crying and sometimes that happens in the same day, right? Sometimes you wake up and you're so excited because you're going to be celebrating something that day only to have something tragic happen where you end the day mourning. There's a time for both of those things. And man, we wish those things were long, don't we? I would much rather take the laughing and the rejoicing and the winning. I want that season to last forever. But that's not the world we live in. We live in a world where that might last 30 minutes. That might last half a day. That might last six months. Only to be rudely interrupted by the time of mourning. The dancing might last for a little bit, but so will the sadness. That's what life looks like living in a fallen world. Philip Ryken writes the following. He says, God is the king of time. He regulates our minutes and our seconds. He rules all our moments and all our days. Nothing happens in life without his superintendence. Everything happens because God is sovereign over time as well as eternity. What this means is that there is order to the world we live in. It might not feel that way. And a lot of times it doesn't make sense. And Solomon's already told us that. I've, I've looked out and I've tried to find wisdom. And his wisdom was some things are just crooked and they're just meant to be crooked. Some things you try to add up and you just grab them and you say, okay, I got this, this, and this. Let me count them. One, two, three, four, and never come with the right answer. And so he already told us two plus two in this world does not always equal four. But what he's also teaching us here is that God is at work. And he's actually the creator of all of this. And he's the one who's in charge of 
all these things. And so in a, in a mysterious way, there is order to it. Just not the way maybe we want it to be because we want two plus two to equal four. We want those things that seem crooked to be able to straighten them out because we want to be the ones in control. But what we're being reminded of here is you're not in control. You didn't create this world. God created this world and he is king of all time. He is ruling and reigning over everything. And so we don't get to choose our times, but we can be aware that there are these times, that they do come and they do go, but we don't get to pick them. We don't. We don't choose our times. They've been chosen for us by God. God chooses these things. Wouldn't it be nice to be able to choose it? It would be. I mean, that, that's the temptation. I think, I think in some ways what Solomon's going after here is this, this sense for us of, of wanting to just be in control. Wanting to be able to kind of plan out our days so that life looks the way we want it to look, and that just doesn't always happen, does it? You can read all the best productivity books you want. And you can read all the self-help books you want where you can plan out your life and you can write all those things down. And I would just encourage you, after you do that, go find somebody who's got you by 20 years and ask them their thoughts on it. It doesn't mean we don't plan. It doesn't mean we don't work hard at these things. I think what it means is, is we take all these things and we hold them like this. We recognize we're not the creator of these things. I do want these things. I am praying this way, but ultimately God's the one who's in charge of all of this. So we recognize in this first point, there's a bunch of seasons. Season to be born, a season to die, a season to laugh, a season to cry, a season to build, a season to tear down, a season for war. He's just telling us that there's a season for peace and there's a season for That's the world we live in. So we move to our second point where it helps us make sense of this reality. Point number two, God is always in control and always at work in every season of our lives. God is always at work and always in control in every single season of our life. In verse 9, Solomon asks the question, what gain has the worker from his toil? If everything has its designated time, its designated season, and it's all going to kind of work out according to that plan and that way, he's saying, what do I have to profit if this is all working in a certain direction? Do I have anything to gain from this? Now, if you know Solomon and you've been reading through this, you've been here on Sunday, you might think he'd just say nothing. Just, it's vanity of vanities, but that's not what he says here. He goes on, to answer this question, he says, I've seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. Again, what I love here is he's acknowledging God. I've looked out and I've seen people and I've seen the business that God has given to man. I've seen that God has given them this to be busy with. He says, he has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity in a man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. What I love about this is, is he's basically letting us know what gain do we have and, and the way in which he, he answers this, and we're going to get to the full answer, he's just saying, God hasn't given us meaningless tasks to do. 
He hasn't just given us busy work. Why don't you go in the corner and just kind of do this for a little bit of time and just, and just give yourself to just monotony and, and boredom for the rest of your life. That's not what God has done. He hasn't cruelly ordered our days so that we all just experience just a little bit of joy and a whole lot of suffering. God's given us meaningful things to do with our lives. He has very intentionally ordered our days with the right things for us to do at the right time in the right context. See, we have a wise God. Wise God. He's, he's perfect in all of his ways. He knows what's best for us at the right time. He knows how to always accomplish his good purposes. He doesn't somehow just stand back and let the world sort of do its thing. No, he's ruling and reigning over everything. He's the one who's, who's giving us things to do. He's the one who's placing us in the context where we're living life at this moment and will live life at every moment of our lives. And what he gets at here is he said, and, and it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Now, we may not see the beauty at the time. If you take me back to when my kids were little, I, I, I wasn't that happy dad just thinking, can I just hold their hand in the store? Can I just take them out one more time for a little bit more chaos? I'm just thinking, peace. Can I just get peace? I was, I was kind of looking at times for the next season when they could hop into the car and buckle themselves up. That's a glorious day. But when that happens, just be aware, you entered a new season. You lost whatever you had in that old season. You don't get to carry them to the car again. You don't get to reach in and give them a kiss on the lips when you, when you kind of like, or cheek, whatever it is you want to do, when you're buckling them in. There's a different season for it. But what we learn here is that God has made everything beautiful in its time. That means when somebody's born, it's beautiful in its time. And that means when we say goodbye and we breathe our last, it's beautiful in its time. But we don't always get to see it. And in some ways, that's God's plan for us. So that we can't step back and be God and see, this is how everything's sort of fitting together. A lot of times we sit back and we think, I don't know why this was good, but God tells me this is good. I don't know why this person passing the way in which they passed in my life is a beautiful thing. Because a lot of times it just feels like hurt, it feels like pain, it feels a whole lot like loss. Now we can say this child being born is great, but what we're learning here is Solomon saying, no, it's all beautiful in its time. And God is the one who's reigning and ruling over this, and he somehow is able to weave this all together so it fits perfectly all according to his plan. I want to see that, don't you? But God hasn't given us to see that. He hasn't given us that ability, but he has given us this knowledge that we can understand that everything is being worked out according to his good purpose, and it's a beautiful thing in its time. See, everything that happens to us in our lives, it's from God. I think I said this last week. Either you believe he's in control or you don't. And if he's not in control, then who is? And what hope do we have in this life if he's really not at work in all things? 
if he's really not weaving all these things together and making it beautiful in its time. One of the ways that I've been trying to apply God's sovereignty in my life is is to really spend time just thanking him for the hard things in my life. It's not easy. This is just a practice I've been getting into, trying to lead my family into, is, is when something I don't like enters my world, I try to stop for a second and just say, Lord, thank you. Thank you for being at work in this. Thank you for giving me a sore back for the last two weeks. I don't know why it's sore. It's just sore. Just this painful reminder when I see something on the ground, I got to pick it up. I don't like to pick it up. I don't have to bend over because my, my back is sore right here. It gets better some days and some days it's worse. Some days I want to do this and some days I can't because of it. But every pain and those little hard things, it's just a reminder, Lord, you're in control. And then I, I get in the habit of saying this when other things happen is apparently the Lord doesn't want me to do this today because I can't. And just trying to apply all of this to life because the Lord opens doors and he shuts doors. Because he's making everything beautiful in its time. So either we'll believe that God is absolutely in control of our lives or we won't. Well, Solomon goes on and he shares a few lessons. He says this in verse 12. I perceived that there is nothing better for them to be joyful and do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. Whatever time the Lord has given to us to live out our lives and in whatever season he has us in, Solomon tells us that that his lesson learned, what he's perceived, is that there's nothing better for us to do than to be joyful in that season. To thank God for what he has given us in whatever circumstance we might find ourselves in and to do good in that season. So we don't have to really thank him for the, the evil situation, but we can find something to thank him for in the situation because we know he's at work in that. And so he calls for us to be grateful. Find joy wherever it is you're at, even in the midst of loss. And again, I know how hard this is. So the logic is like this. If God is at work in all things, has appointed a specific time and season for these things, and these things are being woven together as something beautiful, then we might as well be grateful for whatever it is that God gives us and by his grace seek to walk in the good works that he's called for us to walk in. And so that's the side of the, the be joyful for what you have, be joyful in the midst of the season, fight for that joy, receive that joy from God, and then there's this call to do good. There's this call to, to live out your life for the glory of God wherever it is you're at, to seek to honor God in every situation, or as James tells us, to count it a joy. When you meet trials of various kinds, hard, it's hard, I get it. Nobody likes loss, nobody likes losing. But Solomon's sharing wisdom with us here. This is what I find to be true for you. He says, he says find joy wherever you're at, be grateful for what you do have, and walk in those good works that we learn in Ephesians 2.10 where it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. 
What he's just saying is, is our faith looks like something. These works don't save us, but, but the, the saving faith that's been given to us, it, it shows up. And he's saying it should show up in every season. It should look like something when, when you're winning, and it should look like something when you're losing. When life is good and when life is hard, he's saying God, God's created you to walk in his ways. He's got a pathway for you. So, so when you don't like somebody and they're not doing what you'd like them to do, the call is to speak words, Ephesians 4.29, that still build up. To not gossip and slander that person, but instead to speak words that give grace. That would be a good work in that situation, something like that. But that, that's the call. So I've seen this. Life, ha- it comes and it goes. And there's a time for this and a time for that. And so what I've learned is, is be grateful for what you have. Enjoy what you got. And walk in those good works. Solomon goes on to share another lesson learned. He's verse 14. He says, I perceived... That whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is already has been, that which is to be already has been, and God seeks that, seeks what has been driven away. And so what we learn here is everything that God does, it just endures. His purposes aren't thwarted. Nobody's up there saying, okay, you've got to change your mind now. This, this isn't working. Again, remember, he's perfect in all of his ways. He always accomplishes his good purposes. He uses the right amount of resources, the right amount of effort at the right time to always accomplish the right result. And that's his result, that he's determined to happen. And so he's perfect in all his ways. And we see this timing being perfect throughout Scripture. Ephesians 4 verse 4 says this, when the fullness of time had come, that means at the right time, God sent forth his son born of woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. So sending Jesus to save us wasn't an afterthought. It wasn't like, man, they really screwed this up in the garden. I better do something about it. No, no, this was his perfect plan. At the right time, Romans 5, verse 6, Paul wrote the following. He says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Again, it wasn't an afterthought. Nothing is an afterthought. Nothing is sort of this by chance happening with God. If we really believe He's ruling and reigning over everything, and we do, then he does everything at the right time. And we see this most clearly right here at the right time. Christ died for the ungodly. See, God's the creator of time and he rules and reigns over time and he works in time. And he's working it all out, making it a beautiful thing. So he's always at work. He's always in control and he's always doing the right thing. And this is sort of the answer to this. Well, then why, is, why do crooked things have to stay crooked? Or why does there have to be pain? Why does there have to be war? Why do, why do we try to add things up and it just doesn't add up? And he says this. He says, God has done it so that people fear before him. Have you ever thought about that? Like, imagine what your life would look like if you never lost at anything. You never hurt in any way. 
You always got what you always wanted when you wanted it. That'd be a great life, wouldn't it? Now think about all the losses, all the hurt, all the the major things, the minor things, the check engine light moments when they come into your life and, and, and put it in this category. Those things exist so that you might know, I might know, you're not God. He created the world to function the way it functions so that we might actually fear him, that we would actually think about him, that we would actually turn to him, that we would have this, as one commentator calls it, this this trembling trust in him. And the way I describe this trembling trust is just a sense of desperation. You can't do anything you want to do apart from God. You might think you can, and I'd say you're probably young if you think that way. And that's not, I'm not trying to be mean in any ways. I was young at one point, and I thought that way too. But the older I get, the more I feel it. And I had this conversation with one of my kids. We took their car in, and we're trying to get it fixed. And we get this estimate back. It's going to cost X amount of dollars. And, and his response was like something along the lines of, are you kidding me? Why is this always happening? And I just said, I was in this text, and I was just saying, it's, this is called life. It's taken me a long time to figure this out, but this is called life. If you own anything, guess what? You will spend time repairing that thing. If you're married, the wedding day is awesome. And I love when people are like getting ready to kiss and they're so excited. It's going to be the best ever. But talk to anybody who's been married longer than a year. You got to have some maintenance. You're going to have these moments where I remember laying in bed early in my marriage and just thinking, I can't say anything because I have no idea what to say at the moment. And so I wouldn't say anything. I don't know how to work through this. If I say this, I'm in trouble. If I say that, I'm in trouble. And I'm sure Sarah's felt that at ways. But those things exist in our life so that we might fear God. So that in those moments, we'd say, Lord, help. We'd recognize, Lord, I'm not God. I can't control this. I can't save my kid. I can't cause my car to work longer than it should. I can't do any of this. You can't show up to work tomorrow if God does not allow for you to show up to work. See, either he's in control or he's not. So when you experience the crooked things in this world, the hard seasons of life, be reminded that's there. So that you would live with this trembling trust in God. That you would fear Him. That you wouldn't trust in yourself, but instead you'd turn to Him. And you'd trust in this Savior, Jesus, that He has so kindly and graciously given to us. Who went to a cross where His body was broken and His blood was poured out. So that we would have hope, not just in this life. But we'd have hope. In life after this life, life above the sun, life in heaven. See, we get that life because God has so loved us, has been so kind to us. And so those little hard things in life, the big hard things in life, they remind us we're not God, we're called to fear him, and this is not our home. But as we live here, Solomon say, enjoy what you get. Be grateful for a sovereign God who gives you the right thing at the right time. You might not think it's right, but you're also the one who's not weaving this all together into a beautiful thing. 
Now imagine yourself in heaven one day. I imagine when we get there, we're probably not going to be questioning God for the kids he gave us or the kids he didn't give us or the amount of money he gave us or the job he gave us or the job he didn't give us or the wins or the losses. I don't, I don't imagine us standing before a sovereign Savior and saying, why did you do that? Couldn't you have done it a different way? I think when we're there and we don't have this effect of sin upon our brains like we do today, we'll get there and we'll say, this is beautiful. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for not giving me what I wanted, but giving me what you wanted for me. We have a great God in heaven. Let's be grateful for the way he's at work in our lives. Let's live with a trembling trust in him. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We ask that you'd fill us with your spirit because we need you, Lord. You know our default, Lord. You know our temptation is to grumble and complain and not receive the joy in the things that you've given to us. And so, Lord, empower us to find joy even in the hard seasons of life. That you might be honored and glorified. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.